Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am here with our remarkable producer, Nathan Yoder, and the inquisitive. Ooh. It, kind of Pentecostal, it came to me. There you go. Inquisitive uh, youth pastor co host, Aaron McGinnis. Aaron, how are you? Feeling very good. We're here on a youth group night, so I'm ready to get into some conversation. Uh, yeah, talk a little life, talk a little youth group, talk a little church staff. Let's do it. Hey, and segues are for rookies. So our um, our guest today is Jonathan Carone. He is a podcaster of, ironically, a podcast named Unlearning uh, Church Staff, but then also Unlearning Youth Group. And we're really excited to have him on here with the current conversation of doubt and faith and even this word deconstruction. Um, we might get into that. Um, but uh, we're asking him the question, why am I still following Jesus? So, Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, well, and I want to give this to Jonathan, too. Just because I'm a youth pastor, don't pull any punches. I think it'll be a really great conversation. I'm actually very excited for this. But yeah, why am I still following Jesus? Do you want me to answer that? <laughs> well, that's for him. We'll, yeah, we'll, that's, I mean. We'll, we'll let it develop. If we have know. a three-hour podcast, I'll go and do that. But yes, Jonathan, that's a fantastic question. I want you, if you could just start out and maybe even just share a little bit about your story, about your faith journey, clearly some of it's going to have to do with uh, church and and what that was like growing up. But yeah, share a little bit about that faith journey. So I'll hit the high parts. Uh, I was the grandson of a Pentecostal preacher growing up. So a little small, 100, 120 person church. We were there all the time. And uh, by the time I was about 15 or 16, I had decided that I liked the idea of Jesus, but I didn't like the idea of church. The church experience I had at the time, I said, was way too old people oriented. And there, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for my generation. And I saw the people that were in our church. They were no different than the people who were outside of our church. So I didn't see any type of difference in like if these people go been going to church, like what's the difference in them and other, pe other people who aren't believers? So. I never stopped following Jesus, but I didn't go to church for the longest time. And then um, went to college, bounced around college for a little bit, ended up at Liberty. And one of my claims to fame is I was at Liberty in undergrad for two and a half years without ever stepping foot inside a church. So I lived off campus, so I never went to Convo or Chapel or uh, any of that stuff. And then that summer after I graduated college, uh, my girlfriend, who I thought was gonna, I was going to marry, she was about to dump me. So like any good Christian, I found a church again because I was in crisis. And it just so happened I found a church that uh, their their nickname at the time was the Rock and Roll Church on the Hill. And they played music that sounded like the music I listened to. The pastor preached in T-shirts and flip-flops and jeans. And it was something I'd never been a part of. And so that got me back into church then and ended up grad school, transferring to seminary, graduated seminary, went and worked at a church for four and a half years. And that was good for a while till it wasn't. And so I, that ended not great at all. And after that time, when that ended, I like, this was before deconstruction was really a word, but I tell people I rethought everything I thought I knew. Mm. And I really had to go through a period of like, do I really believe this idea or is this idea something I, I was taught? And that process started about so early 2015, so we're eight years ago now. 
and it's it's been a um, it's been a journey since then. And I would say that right now, while I have less answers than I had eight years ago, I am more confident in my faith than I was then as well. So it's been a unique, interesting journey. So, you know, I've heard a lot of your podcasts. We actually met um, in a Facebook group called Podcast for Churches, which was pretty awesome. So one thing that you said that I guess I never put together or never heard, like you had talked about being 14 or 15 and like kind of going through like church is worthless. I'm not a big fan of Christianity. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but I guess I'm kind of curious of, do you think even if you were in kind of a relevant type church, like you would still feel that way? Or do you think that you have this type of personality um, that would have challenged and what, how do like looking back, cause that seems to maybe frame this question for you, a lot of what you experienced in childhood. I think it's a yes and no answer probably, because I remember when I got my driver's license, I drove around to a couple of different churches by myself as a 16 year old kid and went to a couple of different churches looking for a church that was more like, I, I love the idea of Jesus. It was just church was boring and mm. it was stuffy and it didn't feel relevant to what I was going through. And one of the biggest issues was I live in a small town and the closest that had anything to what I would have wanted or felt connected to was about 25 to 30 minutes away. And I went there a few times and it was good, but their youth group stuff was on Sunday night. And I just couldn't, as a, as an awkward 16 year old who um, was self-conscious enough already to drive 30 minutes at night to go to a place where I didn't know anybody to go to their youth group type of stuff. I just, I couldn't do it. So I ended up with, with nothing available to me, which sounds weird in the Bible belt, but with nothing available to me that spoke my language, which I know that sounds very self-centered, but that felt like it applied to my life. There was nothing around for that. So it wasn't until after college that I found that flavor of church. The gospel didn't change, obviously, but the way it was taught, the music that was played, the, the personalities of the church, that was different. So I don't know fully to answer that, but one of the things that I will, that I have learned more as I've gotten older is one of my highest spiritual gifts is the prophecy idea, not in the terms of like prophetic speak on behalf of God, which I do believe that exists. It more of the see a problem, speak into the problem mm -hmm. type of thing. So the prophecy and the apostolic, like in my spiritual gifting, those are two of the highest. So I'm always trying to go after, I see a problem, I speak into the problem, and then I want to go after new things to try to fix the problem. And so when you ask the question of, well, would I have always pushed up against that? Probably. Mm. Like there probably would have been a part of me that would have been like, well, could we do it this way? Could we do it this way? And it's part of the reason why I have my business that I have like, where I work with churches and ministries and nonprofits to do those type of things. Um, but that's why I never would have fit on church staff any longer than I did, because I was always pushing against like, well, what if we did it like this? What if we did it like this? What if we thought this? And so it's a little bit of both. Like I was desperately searching for something growing up, but I probably would have been that reformer type of 
mindset even then without, but I wouldn't have had the language to put around it back then. Mm. Yeah. Jonathan, thanks for sharing all those stories. I, I am reminded, I feel like a lot of even my age and, and above, I'm 28 and up to up to 40, maybe even uh, people in that generation kind of grew up going to churches that didn't feel like they were for them. And, uh, yep. and also, you know, the birth of the internet, the, all this knowledge that's available, you start asking questions. And I almost think there is even a church culture where when you started asking those questions, you, you know, you started getting looked down upon you. People did not know what to do with that type of just inquisitiveness, uh, quoting Peter earlier. And I think that hurt and burned a lot of people in that uh, generation. And one of my questions for you, and, and, you know, I almost sense too, is, you know, as a teenager, probably growing up in that church, you probably felt like, wow, this isn't meant for me. The service, this church is kind of built around a generation that is not even, it's not me. And my question to you is this, do you think uh, primarily it, it, it was stylistic choices, or do you think it was just a matter of church leadership not realizing that there are teenagers in our midst, or there's another generation that's coming up, and they just it just didn't click? What do you think? I have a very distinct memory. There was a guy who was very influential in, like he was like the quote-unquote church kid, that was a couple years ahead of me. He was, he would have been a senior when I was in eighth grade. And so obviously I looked up to him and all this stuff. And after he graduated college or graduated high school, he stopped coming around as much. And I asked my grandpa one time why he wasn't coming around as much. And he said, well, he's looking for something. And he listed off a bunch of stuff that I was looking for as well. He's like, yeah, he's never going to find that around here. And it was more like music style and teaching style and not having to dress up and all, all those things that that style of church did. And my grandpa flatly said, like, he's not going to find that. And I think that like, you have to remember as well, like this was uh, late nineties, early two thousands where like we're in the, the meat of the worship wars at the time. Mm. And so that was going on in church culture. And like, do you have to wear a suit or can you go open collar or can you wear jeans? And there were all these things. And the other piece of it is, Knowing what I know now, the average church, the average age is within about seven years above or below the pastor or the lead communicator. And at the time, so my grandpa was like 45 years older than I was, I think. And so, I mean, if I'm 15, he's 60. Mm. And so the average age of the people in the church are anywhere from 50 to 70. So of course the church is going to cater to that age range. And funny enough, those people are still at that church and the church is getting smaller and smaller and smaller as they all die off because that church still has not changed anything that they've done since then. So I don't know if it's a, if it's, they didn't care about the next generation. They didn't realize that the next generation or they just did what they knew to do mm-hmm. and didn't know any better. And so if I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, it was, this is what they knew and this is what they thought would work. And this is what they thought the people wanted. So we're going to cater towards the people who make up the majority of our church. And unfortunately my generation, our generation was the casualty of that. So I, I want to kind of follow up with your story. Um, so you make this decision to uh, start working for a church, you get a seminary degree. Um, 
and you can kind of give the highlights. I'd encourage our listeners to go listen to Unlearning Church uh, staff and Unlearning Youth Group because you kind of develop it there. But I guess um, one of the things I appreciate about you is in each of your episodes, you ask, where is your faith at today for the Unlearning Church? And so before we get to un- uh, before we get to where your faith is today, walk us through becoming a pastor, joining church staff, your faith journey, getting off staff, but then also um, take us to where this last eight years, just kind of walk us through that. Yeah, so I transferred to Liberty knowing I was supposed to do some type of ministry training. But I was, having been the grandson of a pastor, I saw the ugly side of church, I saw the like, all those things. I wanted nothing to do with ministry. Hmm. So I was like, God, I'll go to Liberty, but I want to work as a teacher or work in a school or do these things that will be uh, be around students, but I'm not going to be in a church. So I completely avoided any type of student ministry degree, which is what I was supposed to do, uh, and got a sport management degree and started working in athletics and all that. Graduated, went into grad school thinking the same thing. Um, To save the details, I ended up transfer. I I came to grips with the idea, I've got to transfer into seminary. Started seminary, basically telling God, if this will get you off my back, I'll do it. Mm. And that was that was my approach going into seminary. I was, and I started online, switched into on-campus seminary, and I remember getting the syllabus going into my seminary evangelism class and thinking, this is going to suck. I am going to hate this class with every fiber of my being. And it was going into Christmas break, and I remember a little prayer I said, was God, I don't want to do this, but if this is what you want, I give you permission to change my heart. I remember that prayer very distinctly, but it's one I've said over and over. Within the first couple classes, I fell in love with that class. Uh, that professor in that class is one of my favorite professors. I had him for other classes too. Um, completely changed the way I looked at evangelism, completely changed the look the way I looked at sharing my faith with others. And that was the catalyst to wanting to be go to be in ministry. And I like I I had an offer from Liberty because I was a grad assistant while I was in seminary. My my school was complete, paid for completely. I had an offer to stay for a third year and get a more advanced degree. With school completely paid for, working for the athletic department, doing all the things I wanted to do, but I wanted to go into ministry so much that I couldn't imagine staying in school for another year. Mm-hmm. So I left there and I go and I'm I'm in doing an internship in student ministry in a church in Tennessee. And first year we grow the high school ministry from 75 to like, we hit 215 at one of our events, one of our Wednesday nights that year. So we're just experiencing this like huge, gigantic growth. I'm the number two in that. So it's like, I've been made for this. Like I felt like everything that all of the things that I was made for was to put me in that position then. And so it was a one to two year internship. I re-upped for the second year and they added uh, rebuilding the young adult ministry into my role with that. Six months into that, having success, our creative director for the church left and they offered me that job. So I was now getting my first big boy job as a creative director for the church. So I did all the communications I oversaw. We were a multi-venue church, not a multi-campus church. So I oversaw the production for all the venues. 
I'm like 24, 25 at the time, about to get married and rising up the ranks, having success in ministry. And so everything was going the way it was supposed to go. And then a year later, leadership change. We got a new executive pastor. Um, some stuff happened there that led to me torpedoing some relationships and not handling stuff as a, as a hot-tempered 27-year-old and eventually leaving as a, at the end of 2014. That made me question, okay, I thought, God, you wired me for all of this. This is what you mean. Am I not good at this? Did I miss it? Did I get it wrong? And so I had to work through that for a while to begin with, like vocational ministry. And like, I'm wired to do this. You created me to do this. And then I've, I flamed out of it for like, not, not a moral failure, just the leadership change. And w- what I found out was, it wasn't a me thing. It was a fit thing. I just didn't fit where that church was going. And so that took some processing and some reaffirming by God and all that. And so then I was in the desert for a little while. Like you guys, I don't know the last time you went to church as a normal person or had, like, had to go with, without your ministry hat on, like relearning how to go to church is really hard. Mm. So we were having our first kid at the time. And so finding a church and like, okay, this church doesn't fit. Let's go over here. And I didn't want a church hop. So we would go to a church and spend six months there and try to see like, is this, is this where we're called to be? And it's like, no, that's not it. And then we went to another one. It's like, ah, oh, that's not it. And then finally we, it took about two and a half years. We finally found a church where we felt like, oh, this is it. And like some of those dreams that I had as a kid that I've always wanted to plant a church in my hometown because there wasn't anything for me growing up. Like part of that started coming back and the excitement for Jesus started coming back. And uh, then we moved. And we moved back to our hometown and uh, six months after that, the pandemic hit. So we're like just getting in our rhythm, trying to find a church. The first church we found here, uh, we realized again, we're not Baptist. And so we ended up leaving that church, found another church that we're at now that we absolutely love. But as part of that, I've been going through like the processes that church have to like to become a life group leader. And our church views life group leaders as the deacons of the church. They're the, the people who provide care for the church. And so I did a year as an apprentice leader. And then there's this other class. One, and through that, I found out that I, what our church is looking for is more of a shepherd leader for these groups. I am a teacher leader. Shepherding is very, it's probably the least of the five the five points that I have uh, for those that don't know, like the apostle uh, preacher, teacher, evangelist, and apostle um, shepherd is at, is at the very bottom of that. And so I, we spent a year and a half about to start this life group and to come to find out, like I'm not really wired to be a life group leader the way our church does it. So yet again, a thing that didn't happen that I thought was going to happen. So all of this requires me to wrestle with my face, wrestle with, where Jesus is leading me, what he has created me to do and what he wants me to do. And so that was just back in like November that I, that I was going through that November, December I've wrestled and I've, I found the answers and I'm much more confident in who I am and who God's created me to be now that I was going through that. And I'm glad I went through it, but it was still hard. So to sum up all of that, which I, I got long winded there for a second, but to sum up all of my faith journey, it's been a lot of seeking, 
thinking I was doing what I was supposed to do, realize something happening, whether my fault or someone else's, and then having to start the whole process over again, all while knowing that Jesus is good and he's going to be there no matter what. Hmm. And so it's a long way around your question. Uh, I think I answered it, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I actually have a really, maybe even a difficult follow-up question for you. Thanks again. I love hearing people's stories and how how Jesus is so faithful to us, even <laughs> even when sometimes we don't know what what's going on, you know? And I think my question to you is, as someone who had a hard church experience feeling, you know, like left out, this isn't for me, um, but also feeling the pull from Jesus, and then continuing to get into situations where you're you're probably willing to dive all in. I'm I'm all in. I, I want to be all in. But then you have this other side of you that's very critical thinking, very, cares deeply about how things are done, and it's probably butting up against like these ideas of unity within the church. But why, you know, this internal conflict of like, man, but why do I care so much? But it's good that I care. Um, I, I'm curious. I feel like that could lead someone to be like this. This is just ridiculous. I need out of this whole game. What caused you to step into it and be like, I'm not getting out of this game. I'm here for a reason. I'm going to follow even harder. I would say part of it was learning that when I run on my own, I go too fast, too far. And I end up doing things I shouldn't. And so like I could have started when I, when we moved back home to where we live now, the whole idea is at some point we were going to start a church in this town because there's nothing we would want to, to this day, there's still not a church in our, in our hometown that we would want to go to. So the church we go to is about 25 minutes away. So from the get go, I could have started a small group and just seen where it went and done it. But I wanted to be under the leadership of a local church. I wanted to submit to that because I know my personality uh, I'm going to overstep or do something I'm not supposed to if I don't have the accountability structure of some type of leadership over me. So that's a piece of it. Another piece of it is I'm learning more and more the difference between what the local church and on the individual level is called to do because every local church is called to do something different and to go after things in a different way that just because I may not fit in that box does not mean that God does not want me to do something. Mm. I'm wired. And it's the whole idea of the priesthood of the believer. Like I have to be submitted to my church, but I also have the permission from God to go after the things he has called me to do. Mm. And so finding that balancing act of, okay, like, maybe this small group thing isn't going to be an official life group from my church that falls under their promotions and their regulations. But you know what? Our discipleship pastor has given me all the permission in the world to go out and start some type of small group with friends. That's a Bible study that operates kind of on our own and he'll resource me in whatever way that I need to, because he knows I can do, he knows I can teach a Bible study and that I can gather people around for that. It just doesn't fit in the systems of our church. So part of it was learning that the systems churches have to create 
to be reproducible will inevitably leave some people out. Hmm. And my nature, to go back to what you were saying, I'm the guy that creates spaces for people who don't belong hmm. or feel like they don't belong. I have always been that. When I was at Liberty, I started this student athletic fan club. Like we were the student section at Liberty. We sat at the 50 yard line of football games at, at the mid court of basketball games. And we grew really fast, really, really big, really fast. And we became a place for all those kids who didn't have a place, another place. Mm. And it was, it was like a bunch of people who there'd be no other reason for us to hang out and be friends, but it was a common ground that we found that we could do this. And it was a place where everyone felt like they could belong. They didn't have to be part of any type of group. It was just, they had a place. Mm. So that's my nature. And I'm going to always create those places. But as I've learned more about myself, I've learned if I'm going to be the guy to create places for people who don't have a place in the church, that's likely not going to operate within the confines of the local church. So to be okay with that and to learn that's my space and that's okay. And to get the blessing of my pastors to do mm -hmm. that. It's been a hard journey and it's been a lot of frustration, but at this point in time, I'm really happy with where it's landed currently. So I want to come to you because you're just this fascinating dichotomy of your prophetic. Um, you know, we say it's uh, forth telling, not foretelling. So you're not telling the future, but just forth telling. But you're you're not just prophetic to the church or to Christians. You're actually like pretty, I'd say, self-aware of yourself. So on an individual level, you seem to have processed really well on still following Jesus on one hand. Hey, there's some things that I contributed to each season of my life. And then there's some things that the church contributed. And then even on like a larger level, I think lots of times when we get into situations like you've come in, you have the community that'll tell someone like yourself or myself or even Aaron, like, this is it's, it sounds like this is all your fault. And then there's other people that are like, stick it to the man, stick it to church. Maybe that could be, you know, you do good, good promos. So stick it to the man. But anyways, so I, I guess help our listeners because you're able to kind of hold together the messiness, I think in a very healthy way. How have you done that? I refuse to give up first. That That's kind of like, like, there are a few things that I know with everything in me that are, that are true. And so I'm like, I'm not going to give up because things happen. Um, I've also got this weird ability. It's a, if you want to go counseling therapy, it's a, it's a protection mechanism really to where I I intellectualize things that happen first. It's my way of processing them. Um, it, that's good and bad. Like a, a lot of times I won't feel my feelings. I'll intellectualize them because if I can understand why they happened, that keeps me from feeling the hurt. But at the same time, if I can understand why someone did something then I can empathize with them as well. Mm. So like most things in life, there's a good side and there's a bad side to it. So if I can understand why Let's go back to my church staff situation. Uh, I didn't get the details earlier, but what happened was I was, I was drowning with the amount of work I was doing. 
New executive pastor came in. My direct report went to him and said, hey, Jonathan needs help. He's drowning. One day, XP came to me and said, hey, I hired a communications director. I gave him a hug. I was so excited. I thought that I was going to get elevated a little bit. I was going to have a communications director come in under me, and I'd still oversee communications and production, and it'd kind of be my own little department that I got to oversee together. Come to find out, the executive pastor before him never wrote the communications director role into my job description. It's just something I took over. And so new XP brought in communications director to go above me, not realizing that in the moment it was a demotion. Mm. And so you can imagine how 27-year-old Jonathan took that, not well. And it when I in the meetings that followed that move, when I said that I got demoted, he it, it clicked in his mind that that's what that's what I was feeling and what I was experiencing. And he even said to me, that was never my intention. Like I didn't realize this happened. So yes, I was still hurt. Like the hurt what did not go away. But once I realized, hey, this wasn't malicious against me. This wasn't a, this wasn't an, like, did I get demoted? Yes. That is the truth of the matter from the org chart. I got demoted. Was the intention to demote me because I wasn't doing my job well enough? No, that was not the intention. That was a leadership mishandling of job descriptions. And I was the casualty of something that happened. So the, the ability to kind of intellectualize that and see it from all the different perspectives, I can understand it a little better, even though it still hurts. And if I can understand something, if I can, if I can do the work to understand why it happened, then the feelings don't go away, but the blame, the blame game is much more understandable. And I, I'm a, a big believer that empathy is a super, a superpower. And if I can empathize and understand why someone did something, even if I am 100% adamantly disagree with it, if I can understand why they did it, then that will change how I respond to it. Yeah, no, that's, that's super well put. Yeah. I, I mean, I resonate with that in the fact that I also intellectualize all hurt. I always say it takes, I'm like a two month processor. <laughs> like, <laughs> are you an Enneagram seven? I, you know, I've been mistyped as an Enneagram seven. I think I might be a five, okay. but yeah, <laughs> well, you know what? We could have that, this conversation. I might be a seven. Well, you never know. Se sevens go to five when they're healthy. <laughs> there you go. So, but yeah, you know, I often say something happens. I like write out all the pros and cons. And then, you know, two months later I get hit by the emotion of it. So I totally, I understand that as well. Yeah. I don't know. Peter, anything? Well, no, 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 no. I, I appreciate that because the reason I bring up that question, um, is it seems like there's an all or nothing to why am I still following Jesus? And, you know, I, I think what I'm hearing from you, um, and I'm an Enneagram too. So like, I'm this like constant, how's Jonathan doing? How's Aaron doing? That's the least surprising thing I've heard all day. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, but I, I guess to this question that we're asking, why am I still following Jesus? You know, and for you, like, it seems like the big... And I haven't answered that direct question yet. I, I'm interrupting you there. But I, I can answer that direct question if you want me to, or we can keep doing story stuff. Because I feel like that's probably the elephant in the room right now of people is like... They're hearing all these stories, but they haven't gotten the answer to why I'm still following Jesus. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. So 
Okay. Podcast host. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is what makes great podcasts. So just, just do it. So I, I think, because I've been thinking about this as we, as I came into today, like, why do I still follow Jesus despite all of my issues, all of my past experiences and like my, I don't say doubts, but my questioning of things in the Bible and scripture. And like, I have less answers than I had years ago. And I'm more okay with that now than I ever have been. And the only answer I can come up with is I have had experiences that I can only describe as being with God. Mm. And in my, in my language, in our language, I would say the Holy Spirit and Jesus specifically. But just if, if we back up big picture, take out like doctrinal stuff, like I've had experiences that I can only describe as being with God. And there is a peace that those have brought to me. There is a joy through crappy times that that has brought to me. So even if I don't fully understand all these things, did Paul actually write the pastoral epistles? I don't know. Those are questions that I'm never going to have the answer to. Is the idea of women being elders and Paul only allowing an elder to be a man, was that descriptive of the time or prescriptive of the position I don't know. I don't know all of these questions. They're going to be questions I don't have answers to until I get to heaven and can ask Jesus himself. But what I do know is the peace that comes with following Jesus, that experiencing him has brought the joy, the kindness I have felt from him. So because of that, I get to the end of the day and I'm like, okay, even if these other questions don't go the way I think they are and I find out I'm wrong. I still have this experience with Jesus that I cannot deny and will not deny. And at the end of the day, there is a love, joy, patience, kindness, like all the fruit of the spirit that comes with following Jesus that even if I'm wrong, I want those things to be apparent in my life. Mm. And those, I know with my personality, I do not experience nor exude love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control on my own. Like when Jonathan is left to himself, those things are not around. It's only when I spend time with Jesus and through the work of the Holy Spirit and my belief that I experience those things. So even despite all of my questions, even despite all of the things that I find wrong with American Christianity and evangelicalism and all those things that we are all experiencing today. I cannot and will not give up on the idea of Jesus. And when you look at the totality of scripture from Genesis to revelation, the idea of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, like I see that everywhere. So while, while the minute details of this verse or that verse, or was that Greek translated properly? I don't know. But what I do see is a sinful world groaning for restoration and a savior who came back to restore and redeem it back to God himself. And I see that in my life personally. I see that in others' life. I see that in creation. I see that in the world in general. And because of that, I want to be a part of that process mm -hmm. and I want to experience that for my life. So I can have 
confidence in knowing who Jesus is, even if I don't have supreme confidence in all the things surrounding him. So this is why we love interviewing podcast guests or podcast hosts of their own, because they just kind of jump to it. So it makes it easier. I think what's unique about your story and the gift to our listeners is it goes back to your intellectual conversation. Um, because it, it seems like you've landed on this why question, you've told us a story, and I'm actually gl glad we waited till now. But somehow it seems like you've organized, here's my intellectual questions, here's my relationship hurt, here's my kind of depression, you know, hurt and all of that. And somehow you're still following Jesus. To us Enneagram twos that just feel, you know, and it gets hurtful, you're unique in how you're handling it. What would you say, because this is what you do, you unlearn youth group, unlearn church staff, there's some unhealthy things about that. What is it unique about your story of still following Jesus that you'd want to give as a gift to other people? You cannot do it on your own. It's impossible. And maybe you're listening to this and you're out on church right now because you've been hurt by church or whatever. You've got to find people. You have to find other people to do this together with because you can't do it on your own. Uh, counseling has been a huge piece of this for me. Um, I, I, I make the Enneagram references because I found a Christian Enneagram coach that's also a certified counselor. And so I walked through 12 weeks of one-on-one -on -one counseling with her to learn how I, how I view the world, but also from a gospel perspective. So it's not just like, heebie-jeebie Enneagram stuff of like this, this, this is the white girl on Instagram making an excuse for how she acts because she's a seven. Like, it's not that stuff. It's like, no, you have this core fear of this. You have this core desire because of your, because of the way you found love in your childhood, you have this, or because of your experiences, this, or God has wired you like this. So you see the world in this way. And to frame it all from a gospel perspective opened up a lot of those things for me. So it's one of the, it's one of the most healthy things I have done. So if we frame it in gift for the listener, I would say find the people you know and trust and can trust who have your best interest at heart, but also are following Jesus ahead of you mm. and let them speak into your life. And the hard part of the, one of the things that we see in scripture is this, uh, the idea of mentorship from Barnabas to Paul to Timothy, like Paul was getting mentored at the same time he was mentoring someone else. And we don't have that in the American church structure very much. And you tell me if you guys felt this way. Have you guys always just wanted someone who's who's a little further along in life to see us and be like, hey, come follow me. I want to show you some things or I want to mentor you. Like that's a desire I have had for years that I just wish someone would do that. And what I've learned is no one's going to reach down. I have to reach up. And so the gift I would say is just the encouragement to reach out and find someone who's a little further along than you are and ask if you can just follow them, if they can speak into you so that you can see some of these things that maybe you're not seeing because you're too emotionally invested in your own life to see what's really going on. Hmm.
Yeah, man, I had that exact conversation with my wife this week about mentorship and that just innate desire to to look ahead and find someone. One thing that I really loved about what you just said is, you know, as someone it seems who's, you know, very critical, intellectual, thinking through things, kind of going on this journey, finding Jesus for themselves, even when the church has hurt you. Um, I think it's very wise for you to recognize that and then be like, you know, that's a journey I've made myself, but I need others. It's not um, going to be an individual journey anymore. Um, I have blind spots. We all have blind spots. There you go. Yeah, so I, I just think that's very wise and a, a great word f- for people who maybe have been trying to do this alone for so long and have been just burnt if I out. Put, yeah. If I put my church teaching hat on, like if I was like to put it in a pithy way, it's like every person needs a friend with a flashlight mm-hmm. to shine to shine into those blind spots. And one of the one of the best gifts you can give someone is to be that friend with the flashlight. And the best gift you'll ever find is to find a friend with a flashlight because it's going to hurt in the moment and they're going to expose some things that like, oh crap, I, I, I do do that, don't I? And it happens to me all the time. But after you process it a little bit, it's like, okay, I'm a better person because they shine the light there. Hmm. You know, so Aaron and I talk about this a lot um, and you've been a youth pastor. Like I think well-intentioned people for students and adults, they've, they come to us and they say, like, we need more information. We need more classes. Like our students don't know enough about the people don't know enough about the Bible. And I, I just kind of, I wonder where sometimes that's gotten us. And I, I want our list, like, I care what you know about the Bible, but like my job, like literally is small groups and digital discipleship. Like that's literally my job. This is why we're doing a podcast. This is why we have small groups. And, you know, I guess as you think about why am I still following Jesus, it's a lot of like people, what are we missing youth group wise, student wise, college student wise? Like, do you think it's community and relationship to do this better? And what is the way forward? Or, I mean, just disagree with me too. That's okay. I don't disagree. What I would say is Okay, let's go some, let's throw out some history here. Around what time was the printing press invented? 1400s. I'm not gonna put you on the spot. I was gonna say 1500s, so, so but you're The 1400s. Right. The, I, th- I think I could be wrong. So what we're saying with that knowledge is that in the time from Jesus until the time now, 75% of the Christians who walked this earth did not have a personal copy of the Bible. Mm, Correct. They just didn't. So the idea of read the Bible more, study the Bible more, and that's how you're going to become a better Christian, that doesn't track with the overwhelming majority of historical Christianity. And I'm not saying reading your Bible and studying your Bible is bad. But what we have done is we've taken this idea of we need more knowledge, we need more biblical understanding and we have replaced that with spending time with Jesus. And it's not biblical and biblical knowledge will change us, but what transforms our heart by like and renews our mind is spending time with Jesus through the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and the Holy spirit's spooky to a lot of us. And 
like we don't understand what that looks like and what the Holy Spirit does. And so we think, oh, any more knowledge, any more knowledge, any more knowledge. Jesus says, abide in me because apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm. And part of abiding, yes, some of that is reading your Bible and praying. And But the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And if we truly believe that, like we can abide with the Holy Spirit whenever we want to. And it doesn't mean we have to have a Bible in front of us, or it doesn't mean we have to have this formal, our father who art in heaven type of prayer life, but it's spending time with God himself. And that's what transforms us. We have elevated scripture to the level of the Trinity to where we think it's father, son, Holy scripture instead of Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jesus, who is the Word incarnate, said himself, it is better for him to go away and to send the helper to us than it is for him to stay with us. So if he sent us the Holy Spirit and said it was better for us to have the Holy Spirit than to have him, then we have to take him at his word. And that means spending time abiding in Christ through prayer, through scripture, all that, but it's not in a way to just get information. Mm-hmm. It's reading the Bible to see how that changes my normal everyday life. And what we have done in the church, in my opinion, is our Bible studies have been to teach doctrine, to teach rules, and to teach memorization, as opposed to teach like, how does this scripture impact my normal everyday life. Mm. How is this concept of who God is going to impact me going to the store this afternoon or me having a rough day at work or me parenting my kids? Like what good is it if you can quote scripture, if it, you're, you're, if it doesn't make you a better person, if it doesn't change your life for the better, if it doesn't challenge your sin nature, if you're just quoting scripture to quote scripture, great. Even Satan can do that. But if you're letting the Holy Spirit actually work in your life and show how scripture makes a difference in your everyday life by abiding and spending time with Jesus, then that's what's going to change us. That's that's where we're, and we do that in community because we need other people to shine that light and to show us different perspectives. But it, it's got to be a different purpose in our Bible study as opposed to just learning information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this. I talk about this a lot for our youth ministry, especially we we are currently in a church that was built in a school from an old school, and it's so easy. And it, honestly, it's hard. We were kind of taught a little bit to view discipleship as Jesus into the American education system. So get into a classroom, yes. do Sunday school. Basically, instead of teaching science or this, teach teach Jesus. And um, this idea of if you come away with a nugget of knowledge, then you are being a successful disciple, which is, it's it's very interesting because I keep coming back to, that's one aspect of discipleship is knowing um, knowing specific nuggets. And I, I heard a, a pastor or someone say once that hell is full of good theology. Hell is full of good theology. Mm-hmm. So you can have perfect theology and still not have a relationship 
uh, with God. And of course, we know and we hope, and this is what happened in my story, where having that relationship with God, finally getting to that place where I'm like, oh, I was at once I was worshiping theology. Now I'm actually worshiping Yahweh, the God of this Bible. And then that did spur me into wanting to know more about him, into, uh, you know, seeking his scriptures in more depth. Um, but it wasn't that that saved me. And it wasn't that itself wasn't God. It was pointing to him. So I think that is a, a very, it's one of the things that we wrestle as. I'm sure Peter thinks this too, just as church staff of how do we kind of get over that barrier of uh, as, as we want to grow in our Bible knowledge. And we do, we generally, we absolutely want that for our congregation. Um, but what can they get at a church that they can't get from YouTube? What can they get from our church and our church community, their local church, that they can't get from just going to Barnes & Noble and taking a book off the shelf? And I think there's a lot there when you ask that question that can click and be like, oh, man, we need each other. We need flashlights. We need to know how to use the flashlight. We need uh, groups and to be the, the incarnate body of Christ in our local communities together so that, you know, that we can move forward and shine a light in this whole community. That's powerful and beautiful. We're going to transform and take this place that's broken and, and hurt by sin and restore it and bring it to even greater beauty than it once was because of the light of Jesus that is within us, the Holy Spirit. So that is a much... Do we have time for me to get on a soapbox to respond to that? <laughs> we do have time. Let's go. Jon okay. Jonathan, so... this, is, this is the way we wish every guest was. Hey, let me tell you what I want to talk about. Just do it. Jump on the soapbox. <laughs> so one of the, there's a missing piece, I think, in our discipleship in that most of the time when we look at discipleship in the church, we talk about knowledge and actions, information in that transform and then the actions we're supposed to do. Some people call it behavior modification. There's a missing piece in that though. And that's our emotions. And what I know to be true, Peter, you'll laugh at this because we talk about this on youth group all the time. Like as a marketer, as someone who works in marketing, we feel like we have to mention that on every episode of Unlearning Youth Group. But there, there's an idea that we know to be true. There are three levels of problems that people face. There's the external problem, the internal problem, and the philosophical problem. The external problem, for example, say I want to walk across the street outside of my house there's a garbage truck standing in the way. It's sitting in the middle of the street. The external problem is there's a garbage truck. The internal problem is like how that makes me feel. I'm frustrated. There's a dang garbage truck between me and the other side of the road. And the philosophical problem is there should, I shouldn't have to walk around a garbage truck to get to the other side of the road. And what we do in church is we solve that external problem. We see a problem like here's the knowledge to solve that. And here's how to act. We don't talk about the internal problem which is how we feel about the thing. And people make decisions based on the internal problem, not the external problem. Our behavior is because of how we feel, not because of what we know to be true. Ask any person who ever had an affair. They'll all tell you they knew it was wrong, but in the moment they felt like it was something they wanted to do. And we don't let, we don't teach others and I would argue that a lot of church leaders don't even understand it themselves, how the Bible speaks to their emotions and what they're feeling. We think if we know the knowledge and the truth of the Bible, that is enough. But we don't take the time to apply that to how we feel. 
man, I am frustrated. Like one of the things my church does that I absolutely love that I, that I think has changed the way I read the Bible before you go into reading, just take a moment. How are you feeling? Ask yourself, what's weighing on you? How are you, how are you feeling in this moment? It could be good. It could be bad. It could be frustrated. It could be lonely. It could be all these things. And then read the passage and ask the Holy Spirit to speak. What what are you showing me right now? How are you making this passage of scripture personal to what I am experiencing? And then what do I do about it? And you know what? The Holy Spirit will speak to you. It's an amazing concept. If you, if you just allow the Holy Spirit a moment to do that, and we don't apply the Bible and biblical principles to our emotions, and we don't teach people how to work through that. And because of that, we're, we have a lot of people with good theology, knowing the right things to do that are constantly fighting up against their natural body emotions that are real. And they don't know how to act with that. And so there's a gap between what they know to be true and what they're actually living out as human beings. I'm off the soapbox now. <laughs> what a soapbox uh, to kind of uh, segue to our last question. And, uh, you know, one of the things I appreciate about Jonathan, the reason, you know, we do a longer form podcast. You're like a set 20 or 30 minutes, but we really want people to get to oh, know you. Past two seasons, we've been an hour. Oh, you have been? Me and Eric got long-winded on, on youth Man. group. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you got long-winded on youth group, but, um, you know, on the Unlearning Church podcast, I'm usually yeah. done by the time I'm in the gym. So, <laughs> um, so the question we always ask is, what does Jesus have to say about this? So um, what does Jesus have to say about still following Jesus? So, Aaron, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Oh, you go first. I'm too long-winded when I go first. You go. So... You I'll know, go. Well, oh, I forgot to say, <laughs> see, you've got me all off my game. This is great. So we allow the guests to clean up the mess that we put out there. Okay. So you, you yeah, we mess it up. Um, what I was going to say was um, with Jesus, you know, he asked Peter, like, why won't you stop following me? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? And, you know, I think one of the surprising things about interviewing Jonathan, I didn't, I didn't know where this conversation was going to go, but where he kind of, he left with that verse, like, I don't know what to do with this experience. And he's definitely processed through the knowledge. And I feel some similarity. I've been hurt by the church. I'm sure I've done some hurt to some people, but the beauty of the gospel, you know, it's just like, I have nowhere else to go. And I would just encourage our listeners, the thing that I love of what Jonathan has done is to be able, I don't want to say organize it, but to be able to look at the complete picture of imperfect people, beautiful savior, what are the assumptions that I'm bringing into this, and, and even the growth yourself, because the gospel is something to be lived out and to be beautiful. And so I think what Jesus would say is, you know, you can still follow me feel the emotions, identify that you don't have to run from that. You can actually receive healing from that to go out of air. Yeah. And I would almost even say, Jesus would say, be emotional as I am emotional. Rejoice mm -hmm. with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And, and also just going back to something Jonathan said way before, we we're we're humans we're finite people and of course we're getting some things wrong in our life that's kind of the whole point of jesus is that he says hey 
follow me, run towards me with everything that you have. And even when you're making the wrong decisions, I've, I've done it all. I've paid the price so that you can be with me forever. And that just the comfort and the peace and joy and the fruits of the spirit that that brings is so worth the journey. <laughs> and just to have, know that that relationship with him will never end. So, um, I love that for you, Jonathan. It doesn't cause you to stop running. It doesn't cause you to shake in your boots and paralyze. And I'll ditch. walk. It'll <laughs> slow me down sometimes. I'll walk and I'll, I'll go to the back of the pack occasionally, but I'm always moving that direction. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the comfort, um, knowing that he's there. He's the mastermind behind it all. And uh, we don't need to throw everything out because he is good. So there you go. Clean us up, man. I think he would say what he's already said. In this world, you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And to me, that sums it up. He, it's a promise he gave us. He promised us things would happen that would suck. And I think we like to think that's not a, that's not one of the promises we cling to mm. when it comes to cling to the promises of the Lord, but it's one that we should like th there will be troubles in this world. There are going to be things that happen that suck. You're going to experience hurt. God never intended for you to experience that. He never wanted you to feel those things. And in fact, the whole point of Jesus coming to this earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, rising again, three days later was to restore us back to the way God originally intended so mm. that we would never have to experience those things again. And so because of that, we can take heart, we can have confidence because Jesus has overcome the world. And one day we're never going to experience those things again. We will while we're here, but because of the work he has done, eventually we're never going to experience that again. And that is a promise and an encouragement to me whenever I'm going through the crap. Jonathan, what a way to close this. Where, where can we find you? There's a few places. Unlearning Youth Group is the main podcast. Uh, that's on that show. We uh, take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group or the things we taught in youth group. We find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. Uh, Unlearning Church Staff will be coming out later this year, uh, the second season. The first season is available uh, out right now. And then um, just from anything I do, you can go to jonathancurron.com. And that's got my podcast, it's got my business stuff on there, my newsletter, all the different things that I do uh, as a job or as a hobby. They're all listed at jonathancarone.com. Uh, on social, I'm at Jonathan underscore Carone as well on all the major platforms. Awesome. You can find us at whygodwhypodcast.com. Click the subscribe button. You'll get this episode and many others. Thank you so much for joining us. Music.